Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nordic Energy Day of 2019. It's a true honor for all of us in Montel to have gathered so many people here today. And this is uh, the uh, 16th time we are organizing the uh, Montel Nordic Energy Day. So a warm welcome to you all. We hope that this day will be very interesting for you and also that you can interact in the best possible way and have a good outcome of this uh, conference. I'm Morten Hegna and uh, I'm here today with uh, my co-moderator uh, Ola Vilnes and uh, we have a quite uh, extensive program for you today. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast. You've just heard the introductory session at the Nordic Energy Day. My name is Richard Sverson, and I'm joined today by Ingvild Sörhus, Senior Carbon Analyst, um, EU Carbon Analyst at Refinitiv, and Tor Raja Lilleholt, Head of Analysis at Watsite. Um, a warm welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're here to discuss current dynamics in both carbon markets and also in the Nordic power markets. Now, I know we're very lucky to have you two experts here who can guide us through these. Ingvild, if we, if we turn to EU Carbon, we've seen prices touch uh, Euro 30 in the European trading scheme and they've fallen back to sort of 26, 27, although they're around 25 now. We've discussed this in the, in the last week's pod, but could you briefly go into the dynamics? What's happening here? Because normally prices go up in August, don't they? Yeah, it's uh, because of how the uh, emission trading system is set up or the auction calendar for the uh, EUTS is set up. It's in August, the uh, Auctions are, or supply coming via auctions are halved mm. uh, due to kind of people being away on holiday and lower lower production in Europe. Mm. So to cater for that, the auction supply is halved in August. But mm. what we have seen in the previous year is that kind of prices have been, or that has supported prices in August. Uh, this the year, thin liquidity, you mean thin liquidity, liquidity yeah. or yeah. at least. Uh, low supply coming to auctions. Mm. So not necessarily thin liquidity, but the lower uh, supply coming to the market. So, and that's probably what helped pushing up the price in July, because then we saw kind of a bit of a rally in prices again on the expectations that it was going to be kind of a shortage in the market when August was starting with the halved auctions. Mm. And in addition, the, um, the heat wave in Europe also helped kind of uh, carbon spiking mm spiking to new high levels. Do you think we're likely to see prices return to 30 again in the coming weeks or months? Or are we more likely to fall back you know, below 25? What, what is your view here? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky to pinpoint if, I mean, if it's going to 30 exact or above 30 or if it's falling back again. We mm. see quite a lot of technical trading now and mm -hmm. uh, that it's not necessarily fundamentally driven the movement we have seen kind of over the last few weeks. It's more kind of technically uh, driven, also supported by these underlying factors that like you have half auction supply coming, coming in August. Gas market is quite bearish at the moment. We have fuel switching going on full speed mm. uh, in we'll return Europe. to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think kind of, so from that side you're not getting any kind of support to carbon but i wouldn't say i would rule out that prices would go uh, to 30 again mm -hmm. but uh, probably it will kind of ease a bit uh, now when auction supply is coming back to normal in september okay. 
So it looks increasingly unlikely. So what do you think, Tordayad? Um, uh, obviously, the, the price of carbon is an important component in, in Nordic prices. You were at the Nordic Energy Day here, Montel's Nordic Energy Day, and, and you gave a bit of a sort of bearish outlook for carbon. Can you explain some of your reasons behind that? Yeah, I could just start with, the. it's correct, that the, it's very important for the Nordic market because it's actually the half of the price of the Nordic uh, power prices is connected to CO2. Yeah. So I will start with, the, of course, it's... From start off, uh, it's a bearish market because it's uh, oversupply. It's huge in this market. So of course, you have this market stability reserve that will help that now for the next uh, couple of years. But on top of that, we have seen a huge change now the past one or two years because of maybe it could be due to the very high CO2 prices mm. because you see the GDP uh, growth rate is a lot lower now than expected one year ago. Mm. You see the industry struggling more and they will... Uh, shut down uh, industry and that will have a double effect because you produce CO2 uh, when you uh, produce your products and also you use electricity to uh, to burn when you uh, are in the industry. So it's a huge compo- component. So the industry is one side and you also have uh, a lot more scary macroeconomics at the moment. You have the trade war, you have a lot of the Brexit and mm. the performance in UK and Germany is a lot uh, poorer than mm. you have seen one year ago. On the other side, on the power side, uh, you see also the um, residual, uh, no, the residential consumption is also going down. Uh, mm. You see two to three percent lower now than last year, so that will help. And you also have the substitution price. Mm. The gas prices is so low that it's it, it, you could uh, switch to gas with a lower CO two price, and that could also trigger lower prices. So more or less, we have a more balancing price closer to 20 euros, okay. where the industry will survive and also the producers are happy with the uh, level of the CO2 prices. Okay, um, so, so we are a bit, uh, bit lower, but it could take some time because you need some time to let the physical or the fundamental uh, figures uh, come out in the market. So, Toraya, you, you, you mentioned the, the recessionary fears here, um, yeah. sort of the, the, the headwinds, maybe the, the clouds over, uh, you know, not just European, but global um, trade and, and the global economy. Ingrid, what could this do to, to, to carbon prices? I mean, Toraya is saying 20, could it go below this and even much below this? We've, we've seen this before as well with the global recession. Of course, we. I mean, if you have a recession, uh, you saw kind of how that was uh, lowering production in in uh, or activity in Europe. And of mm. course, if you have lower activity, that will mean uh, lower emissions mm. in Europe, mm. uh, hence, and hence less demand, which will have a bearish impact on prices. I mean, will prices crash from the levels where they are today to kind of the low as we have previously seen? I don't think so because we have this uh, market stability reserve in place. Every year you will have the publication of the official oversupply number, which will make the basis for the how much should uh, go into the market stability reserve. And of course, if you have lower demand, that will mean you have a higher oversupply, and then the market stability will respond to that, mm. uh, taking in more from auctions the, the pre- next year. So I think kind of, um, that the risk of a crashing carbon price is much lower than we had uh, in the previous years when when we didn't have the market stability reserve in place. I mean, it will be tighter. It will be tighter going on. I mean, you are going for a 40% target, uh, possibly also a tightened uh, mm. 2030 emission reduction target for Europe. And also, if you want to go to your 
you want to go to a carbon zero in 2050, then emissions needs to go down and uh, the car- cost of carbon needs to go up. I was interested, Torai, in you were saying about household consumption falling to 3%. Could you talk a little bit about that? And what what does that mean? Is this a, is this a growing trend? I mean, it, it, given the growth of EVs, certainly the electric vehicles in Norway, that seems to be count, a little bit counterintuitive or counter um, to what we're hearing. I think we could separate the Nordics and the European areas uh, mm. a little bit because in the Nordics, we have a lot of things are uh, taking a growth in the consumption still. You have the battery uh, f- um, fabric, you have the data centers, and you have also the electrical uh, electrification of the um, transport sector. And you also have the oil industry. Already next month, we will start a new uh, cable to uh, Johan Sverdrup mm. with uh, 115 megawatts. So it's uh, one a of lot the big th- oil fields in Norway, oil, one of yes, the biggest. New yeah. ones. So, yeah. uh, so that will be in the Nordics, you will see a tendency that uh, some of the uh, consumption will increase still, but look to Sweden. The industries in Sweden has really been uh, knocked hard by mm. this as well. As well, so the the price or the consumption in Sweden, the industry in Sweden is going down as well. Mm. And one year ago, the the um, op- it was a lot more optimistic, also in in Sweden. So when we're going to uh, Europe, you see uh, one year ago the uh, it's all very optimistic. It was uh, all. All the hours was paint, po- pointing upwards, mm. but suddenly it turned downwards. And for, for household consumption, you mean? Yes, it, and uh, also the industry. Industry, okay. So I think uh, we have some figures. Maybe the uh, industry is reduced with 50 terawatt hours in a year. Okay, across, across in, Europe. In your, across yeah, Europe. That, that's yes. huge, of yeah, course. It's very yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. And what, what does that do for carbon uh, demand? I mean, if, if people, if both industry and households, or households are choosing solar panels, batteries, industries, either closing down or, or relocating, what, what's this doing for carbon, the carbon balance? Of course, if industry is closing down, it's kind of, yes, you are having uh, less demand in the market, but we also have to remember that industry is getting a lot of their allowances for free. So uh, a lot of these allowances will never hit the market that should then go to industry. Of course, you could reduce activity and still get roughly the same amount of of, uh, EUAs for free. Um, So, I mean... In our modeling, of course, we do have a decrease in industry mm. uh, output uh, this year as well. Uh, so, And we do also scenarios for what will it happen if we have simulated a recession again. Mm. That will have a bearish impact on prices, of course. So, I mean, if we return to the power markets, Torai, you, um, it's quite interesting, and, and you brought it up in your presentation earlier, to look at the difference between the Nordic market and the German markets. Now, the spread between some of the forward contracts is up around 13 euros. And if I understand you correctly, um, you're making a clear case for the fact that the Nordic market is overpriced. Uh, could you give some of your reasons here? Yeah, some of the reason is that uh, since 2015, we have seen a difference between the market expectation and our fundamental calculations. Mm. So it started there and has been there since. And mo- one of the main reasons is the uh, start building of wind you okay. have a, a lot of uh, wind uh, commission now in the next uh, for the past years and we they have started to sell PPA contracts and mm. the industry is actually those who are buying all those uh, contracts mm. so you see Alcoa Hydro mm. uh, data centers uh, you have uh, Facebook uh, Google they are buying all these uh, new renewables mm-hmm. on long term contracts 
Mm. So they are actually already out in the market. So mm. you don't see a lot of uh, consumers in this market, but you still have a lot of huge hydro producers that will sell or hedge in this market. And that is making an imbalance in the Nordic power market mm. at the moment. And I think the prices in the Nordic market is close to what you uh, will uh, need to build out uh, wind power in uh, in the market mm -hmm. with a, uh, a risk premium or a premium for, for the uh, interest rate, but mm -hmm. you need to invest. And then they are sold all the power. Mm. So they don't have more uh, incentive to, to go into the market. Mm. So actually the uh, people or the participants who are gained from this is the big industry mm -hmm. because they have got a lot of uh, cheap uh, power. Absolutely. I believe. Okay. So, uh, so our forecast is yeah, around 10 euros higher in mm. the looking five, 10 years ahead in, in the market and closer to the German market because we connect more. Already in three years, we will build 5,000 more cables, mm -hmm. megawatt uh, cables to, um, to the neighboring countries out of Nordic. So that's an interesting question. So despite all the wind, uh, the addition of wind capacity, you think prices should rise even further? Um, it's important that all this power has a way out of the system. Okay. And we believe with the new cables, we have potential to export it to a, a higher price okay. because the continental prices are higher. So they will not reduce price in the Nordic region, but will maybe equal Stay lower with. some of the prices in the continent, yeah. which will mean a leveling yes. of the two regions. Yes. Yeah. So, of course, more power means uh, lower prices, but also more interconnections means higher prices. So yeah. they are... That's always been a difficult sell, maybe yeah. domestically, politically, but yes. uh, yeah. But I think for it's probably good news for for certain consumers. So I think now the the wind power is uh, in the money without subsidising. Mm. So of course that is also some mechanism who could, yeah, make speed up this process. But we also have the other side that there's a lot of resistance against mm. building wind in Norway, Sweden uh, now. Mm. So you will see more resistance, uh, I think, for for the next five years in building onshore wind. Mm. And that that because of the political pressure from groups and and, and nature groups that that, that will yeah. force a, a slowdown. You think? Mm. Yeah. But yeah. still, we have a opinion in in the Norwegian people that there's fifty fifty uh, building wind, not building wind. But mm. we hear uh, a lot more from the. Who, people who are against against the it, anti. of course. Yeah, they scream louder. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of these cables is going to the UK. Now, now Ingwil, there's quite a lot going on here in terms of Brexit. It seems to be we're sort of, you know, we're heading full speed for, for, for no deal. What are the implications for the carbon market, in particular the UK installations and EUAs from UK installations? For UK installations, I mean, the uncertainty if there will be a hard deal or if it's going to be a deal or when is UK actually out. I mean, you said it was increasingly, it seems to be increasingly, the probability of uh, that, that they're leaving on the 31st of October in seems of in, in, mm. increasingly uh, uh, more likely. But for UK installations, it's they don't know yet. So for 2019, they don't know if they have to comply with their 2019 emissions. And that is, I mean... Of course, when you had a delay in end of March and you had kind of the new deadline on 31st of October, that made life a bit tricky for UK installations. Mm. So assuming that you have to plan for the whole year as if you were, I mean, we think that there are a lot of installations that has planned as if they need to comply with the UTS mm. uh, for 2019 as well. Probably, I mean, 
not to a full extent, but mm. uh, at least maybe it's a bit kind of been too risky to wait until you have clarity. Because um, mm. suddenly if you have a deal in, in October, then you have only a few months to cover your needs for 2019 emissions. But I think also for the, um, the rest of Europe, it has been... Um, I mean, you have UK installation on one side that has kind of maybe this additional demand for EUAs now in 2019, uh, but no supply is coming to the market mm. uh, because the auctions are on hold. You have uh, free allocation to industries on hold. Then it's, you have this uh, supply and demand mismatch uh, from the UK, which has also kind of been a supportive factor. And we saw kind of that supportive factor uh, in, uh, during April when prices went up. Uh, both on optimism that you thought you had the deal, but also this uh, supply and demand mismatch. Yeah. I mean, I think um, maybe clarity is in a little bit of short supply as well, because, you know, oh, and also the carbon market could be quite a long way down the list of priorities if you're having uh, port blockages, you know, short food shortages, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you know we could be a long wait before there's um, more certainty for, for carbon market players. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and of course, the... Uh, there is a risk that you will have a sell-off if there will be a no deal. Mm. Um, and of course, when you're approaching the deadline without knowing this risk will also kind of uh, be, be priced in, mm. you could have or most likely will have a bearish impact if there is a no deal in, in October. Uh, probably yes. But the sell-off from UK accounts, because the UK players will lose access to their accounts when they're out of the EU and, and kind of how much is this on the day that need to be uh, on the last day when they, when they are approaching the, the closure of the accounts. Turaya, an, another key market for the Nordics is Germany, what, what, hap what happens there. Um, you know, both of you have talked about fuel switching um, and we've seen certainly a lot of that um, across Europe. But in Germany, in particular, where lignite seems to be lignite producers are, are pretty much out of the production mix, is this something you expect to continue over the autumn and the winter, or will these come back in? Do you think you have to look at the different prices on gas and coal because mm. the gas prices in the market are picking up again? Mm. So in Q1 already, the gas prices are higher than the coal prices. So definitely, we will switch something back again, and you will see higher demand for coal and. But of course, if you're looking further ahead, two or three, four years, you'll see a huge uh, yeah, planned phase-out of uh, coal power plants in, uh, in Germany. But you also have built a lot of new ones just recently. So we have a lot of uh, cheap uh, coal production units that uh, still will be running, I think, uh, if the gas prices are, are higher. But they will not compete too much with gas, so that's why they are out of the market uh, this summer and maybe also the autumn. But... Going into the autumn, you will see higher demand for gas mm. because of the uh, consumption is going up uh, due to temperatures. And then you also will see higher prices for gas and they will come closer to coal. And I think that will line out the two different uh, production units, I think. So So this market-driven switch to gas, a golden age, mm. brief golden age of gas is, is short-lived in your view? Yeah, unless you believe in a very bearish uh, gas market yeah, because okay. the gas market seems to be under pressure. Okay, so and it's the policy. The, yeah. yeah, the mm. demand in Asia has been lower. So all the LNG and all the uh, gas power has pointing to, to Europe. And that's mm. why we are in the situation we have now with low demand. Uh, also in Europe, you have a lot of uh, gas flowing into to Europe, but that will 
probably not be the same case next summer, but it is possible. One thing on the uh, coal to gas switch uh, is also a high carbon price nowadays. Mm. So, um, of course, gas is only emitting half of what the average coal plant is doing, lignite even more. So, of course, I mean, a ca- high carbon price, even though kind of gas is recovering uh, somewhat, um, coal needs to stay quite low uh, in order for... Uh, the coal uh, or the CO2 switch uh, not to take place. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't seem to be much of a prospect of coal prices rebounding, or I suppose it's very much dependent on what's happening in China. In our view, it's a bit short-term uh, downward uh, trend now, but uh, in the longer run, we see upside again for coal. Okay. So more close to 80 maybe, but uh, it's also depending on the uh, macroeconomics. So it could very easily change because the Asia is uh, running cheaper mm. they have to set the, the the limit where they are happy with the industry and also the uh, all china or the um, mining of coal in china because it's a lot of uh, employees that is affected in in asia well that's about all from us this week thank you very much to to ingwil and to Torayev. listeners please make sure you join us again next week Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify if you haven't already.